Brought to you by RunToGold.com, the premier source for monetary science applied to geopolitical, international, and economic financial news and events. Okay, welcome back to the 42nd episode of the RunToGold.com podcast. I'm going to be uh, discussing some of the comments that were made on the article Inflation with Gary North or Deflation with Mish. Uh, first, uh, Tracewell stated and articulated dealing with the established opposition, as I see both of them seem to be, can be fruitless, but still entertaining. Keep up the great work. Uh, I'm Keith Hernandez, uh, Trace, great level-headed analysis, as always. My only question is this. Uh, if I'm reading the S&P priced in gold chart correctly, aren't we at a stage where we should be moving out of gold and into stocks, or at least where stocks are cheap versus gold? Um, I'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but yes, he's he's getting to a good point there. Uh, Jay Gomez, your article kind of reminds me of the bullfight with the matador and the bull, Trace being the matador, of course. After sufficiently proving his prowess as a game bull, he is eventually worn down by the matador and the picadors until finally he is dispatched in a tired and weakened state with a swift but exact plunge of the sword. This happens repeatedly to all the bulls, as very few are ever prepared for el matador. Nice article, and thanks for reminding the intellectually deficient the name-calling is indeed a sign of confusion and defeat, no matter who you think you are. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jay. That's, that's funny. Uh, yeah, it was kind of, uh, I pranced around, dodged the bull, and then at that critical moment, the sword goes right into the vital part. I do that in a lot of articles, actually. Um, to get back to... Uh, Keith Hernandez, uh, yeah, the issue of whether to buy our own gold is completely different from whether to use gold to perform the mental calculations of value, whether to price it or not. And I, I agree. I think the gold is, is starting to get more expensive. So is silver uh, when, when you price it against these other assets. And so, yeah, pretty soon we're going to need to be uh, selling our gold and moving into the other assets. Now, by pretty soon, I mean probably... Uh, three or four years out, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I think we still have quite a bit to go. Even the the most exciting part of this rally to go in the uh, in the gold bull. So you know, I'd I'd uh, uh, I wouldn't necessarily sell my gold right now because uh, what am I going to buy? I don't want to buy dollars, and I I still don't think that the cash flowing real estate because that's ultimately my goal. I want to I want to acquire a bunch of real estate that cash flows. Uh, on a monthly basis uh, for that passive residual income. So uh, I don't think it's a good enough deal yet. I think that house prices, especially American house prices, we might see another 90% drop in terms of gold and silver. Uh, that means I can buy 10 times as many houses if I just wait a couple more years. Uh, so anyways, that's my own thought. Maybe I'm just uh, like my gold a little too much. But, but one of the most bullish aspects of this bull market is the like nobody's in it yet. I was speaking at a big investment conference in, at the Silver Summit actually uh, in February and I made the remark, I was like, man, there's one asset class that protected and preserved people's wealth and it was gold and silver and look how many people are here today. I mean, that's one of the most bullish aspects of this of this run uh, because they're $13.5 trillion in in cash balances and there's like two to four trillion dollars of gold and silver at current uh, market price 
And we're going to need to see everybody kind of move their capital into gold and silver for cash balances just to remove the counterparty risk and the payment risk associated with the insolvent banks and the political currency. So uh, I think we have a lot to go uh, before we, we see this happening. Um, another good one, Pete Kohler. Thanks for the excellent article. I've recently discovered your free RunToGold.com podcast on iTunes. Oh, good. I'd recommend sharing them with friends also. And now he, he makes a very good point here. He says, Mish says hyperinflation is unlikely because the banks cannot be forced or coaxed into lending. But since when does fractional reserve lending, uh, legalized counterfeiting, uh, cause hyperinflation? Yeah, that's a good question. It surely causes an inflation of currencies, supply leading to distortions, non-investments, business cycle. But isn't hyperinflation distinctly different from credit expansion? Another good question. I thought hyperinflations were caused only by central banks and government treasuries printing money to pay for government deficits. Is Mish attacking a straw man? Well, he likes to do that. Or am I wrong about the cause of hyperinflation? Are you aware of any hyperinflations caused by banks creating credit as opposed to government printing presses? Well, remember hyperinflation is the evaporation of that lowest level of, of uh liquidity in the liquidity pyramid, the power currency illusion. And, you know, when we when we talk about hyperinflation, uh, it's very difficult to define, but how we usually define it is the wheelbarrow issue. You know, like Weimar Germany, your, your truck and wheelbarrow is full of money to pay for stuff, or Zimbabwe. Now, I don't think it takes bank lending to trigger this event, uh, unlike MISH. For example, if the banks decided to rapidly move their reserves down the liquidity pyramid from their Federal Reserve note illusions that they hold into physical gold, then hyperinflation, as we want to call it, would likely be the result. Because what would happen is the Federal Reserve note dollar would evaporate, just like when banks move their capital down the liquidity pyramid from auction rate securities into treasury bills. The auction rate securities hyperinflated, quote unquote, or in other words, they rapidly evaporated. So, what what we see during a hyperinflation, and this is why that pyramid that I made is just uh, so insightful. During hyperinflation, uh, the volume of the liquidity pyramid that's taken up by the power currency illusion, that shrinks. And how we should really measure that volume is in terms of gold. So see what happens is even though the nominal amount of Zimbabwe dollars rapidly increases, the total volume or total area of that uh, of that part that the Zimbabwe uh, dollar represents shrinks. It evaporates. And so I don't see why capital has to go up the liquidity pyramid into less safe and more risky loans in order to cause the evaporation of a lower layer in the liquidity pyramid. Uh, for example, with auction rate securities, why, did, why would they have to make more auction rate securities in order to have the auction rate securities uh, hyperinflate or become worthless? And the reason they become worthless is because they are less safe and less liquid, remember? Because capital moves down the, the liquidity pyramid for that. So consequently, hyperinflation really is a very deflationary phenomenon because it evaporates the value of that area of the liquidity pyramid that that power currency illusion or broad currency illusion or even weak 
currency illusion in the case of an Argentine peso or a Zimbabwe dollar, it evaporates that layer, uh, that area that it, that it occupies in the liquidity pyramid. I'm probably the biggest deflationist out there. I'm probably a bigger deflationist than Mish. I just think that uh, hyperinflation is going to be the result. And the reason for this is because of the digital commodity currencies. Um, Michael Moros, he's one of the leading German financial commentators uh, on MM News over there. That's their CNBC equivalent. And he picked up on this because he saw my liquidity pyramid. And he actually wrote an article about it and stuck it on his front page, which is why I, I have a lot of German readers and Swiss readers. Because uh, they picked up and, and it, there were a lot of comments about it. And he realizes uh, what I'm saying here. Uh, that like the scope of how big this is, and I think a lot of people miss it, you know. Uh, and part of that has to do with they don't understand terms, and they're not able to synthesize and do some critical analysis of terms. And you know, Doctor Norse's argument, his articles are a prime example of that. Uh, not to be derogatory, but the the reasoning the analysis that I see in his in his writings it's kind of like it was written by a ferret on meth you know a ferret on meth he's just running 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 from topic 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 and 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 he doesn't even make a rule statement and let alone finish with any analysis and conclusion and so it's like a ferret on meth and you know you these are complicated subjects, and you have to proceed logically and rationally from point to point. You have to build your case. You have to build your foundation. And a lot of people can't even get past the most basic definitions of uh, what is a dollar or what is money. Uh, how is money different from currency? Uh, these are just some of the most basic uh, definitions, basic economic laws. I mean, they take... I, I explain it in like two or three pages of chapter one of the Great Critic Contraction. So, you know, I'd encourage you to get a copy of the book. It'll it'll definitely help you understand these things. And also, I'd greatly appreciate it because it'll help uh, keep the site up and running because currently I don't really have a lot of ads on there and I don't charge subscription or anything. And uh, But there are cash costs associated with the site and I'm starting to get this exponential growth in traffic and so costs are going up exponentially. And, you know, this is a hobby, kind of like my golf and my sailing and my skydiving and other things are hobbies. And, <laughs> you know, my, my hobbies, I, I live within my means. I don't go into debt. And so uh, if hobby gets too expensive, it's just going to have to end. So anyways, it, you know, buy the book, uh, help support the site. Anyways, see why I think this is an epic deflationary credit contraction. Because for 800 years, we've been moving away from money to money substitutes and illusions, and we've moving, been moving away from full reserve banking to this fractional reserve banking that we have. Those two uh, major risks that, that people who hold cash balances hold. And because of these digital commodity currencies, we're able to remove both of those risks, that payment risk and that counterparty risk. Uh, by using a commodity currency with no fractional reserve banking. And it could happen virally. I mean, think of how fast it could spread with Twitter and Facebook and, and blogs and stuff like that. I mean, boom, what took 800 years to build this 800-year-old this illusion 
uh, it could evaporate away in in a matter of five or ten years easily. Um, so, anyways, that's a little bit addressing some of the questions, and I hope that helps. Talk to you later. You've been listening to the RunToGold.com podcast, the premier source for applied monetary science on the web.